0: everybody. Today, I'm going to talk with Mary Barra, one of the most powerful women in the world. Mary is the CEO of General Motors, which makes iconic cars, but also increasingly a big player in electric vehicles. Welcome to the program, Mary. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. One of the things that not many people know about you is that uh, you're in a way um, a Finn.
1: Absolutely. I'm 97% Finnish. So uh, very, very proud.
0: Tell us about your, you know, the Finnish part of you.
1: Well, uh, you know, my parents um, both spoke Finnish. In fact, my grandparents only spoke Finnish. And so my parents uh, learned both languages. Unfortunately, I, I uh, didn't have the language uh, capability. So I only know a few words in Finnish. But, uh, you know, as a child, we celebrated our heritage uh, with uh, the Finnish community in the greater Detroit area. So I learned a lot about the country. And unfortunately, I've never had the opportunity to visit, but I will. It's on my bucket list.
0: <laughs> Great. Now, I believe your dad worked for GM for 39 years and you have worked there since you were 18. Now, um, have you actually chosen the car industry or were you just born into it?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. Well, you know, I think because of my father, uh, who worked uh, at General Motors for 39 years, I learned a lot about the industry and he would bring home new cars occasionally to share with us and the whole neighborhood would come down. So I think I got excited about vehicles. And then because I was going to pursue an engineering degree, uh, it seemed natural to go into the car business. And there is something about it because the purchase is so significant for most people and at general motors we get to be a part of that
0: yeah was it controversial for a woman to start working with a with the body shops in gm at the time
1: you know it was i wouldn't say it was controversial but it was uncommon and so i think uh You know, there were women before me that had laid a lot of the foundation, but uh, I wasn't always uh, assumed to be an engineer in the room. But I can tell you, now, one of the things I'm most proud of at General Motors in my 40 years of being here, our commitment to diversity and inclusion. And frankly, I'm in the CEO role today because people invested in me 20, 25 years ago. So I had the right experiences and opportunity to take on different assignments. So I'm very, very fortunate about how diversity is valued. At GM,
0: so when you reflect on your journey, you know all the way from kind of the factory floor to becoming the CEO, what what kind of reflections do you make?
1: Well, you know, I always tell people, you know, one, you should do something that you love because then work is not as much work. But uh, you know, I think the the key assignments for me were was when I was one a plant manager. Uh, because that really is where it all comes together. When we were building you know, 851 vehicles a day across two ships and all the systems that had to come together to make that happen, I learned a lot in that role to make sure we could build the vehicles safely with quality and do it efficiently. Also, you know, I had a two-year uh, assignment that I ran HR right as General Motors came out of restructuring, and I always knew that people were key to the success of any company, but, you know, having the opportunity to, to uh, be in HR at a pivotal time as we were remaking the company was was a significant assignment. And then, of course, running product development where you get involved in every single product and you're spending time in design or you're spending time at our proving ground, testing vehicles, that's, that's a pretty good job. So I think those are three critical experiences in my career that, uh, you know, help me in this role every day.
0: Yeah. Now, I think you got a very, very interesting background from HR. And um, that's really rare for CEOs. I see, for instance, in Norway, I believe out of the top 50 companies, only three people have CEOs with HR background how How is that impacting your leadership?
1: You know, I think it's a, a really good experience to have because, as I said, at the end of the day, it's talent. and how do you uh, you know hire, recruit, retain, how do you set up people policies that encourage people to do their best? And, and the other thing, you know, being an engineer, you know when we're working on something, we can evaluate the numbers and we make a decision. But HR is all about people, and sometimes people do unique things. and so, you know, putting policies together and programs together to support the company and to uh, attract and retain the talent that we need, I think has been very important because it really it's what makes the company go every day.
0: Mm. And um, I think you've said that um, you use crisis to drive change. Do you think the HR background has made you more able and uh, to cope with the various crises you've been through?
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's been very helpful to have the HR background because I think it it um, with that experience you learn to look at things from multiple vantage points, especially of what's the impact to, to people. Uh, and you can look and make better decisions. I mean, when we have to make big strategic decisions or changes, I always try to look at all of the stakeholders, whether it's our employees, our dealers, our suppliers, our unions, the communities that we live and work. And, you know, having that, you know, that human side of it to understand of how it's going to impact people, I think is positive in, in making change. Because no one necessarily loves to change. But having people embrace change and really understanding what 's going to uh, drive and help them understand why it's important, I think is uh, vitally important as you as you drive change and when you look at how quickly every industry is transforming, clearly the auto industry is that's very helpful
0: um, moving on to the auto industry in general and of course with european eyes. Um, We, we rarely see, uh, you know, uh, traditional American cars on European roads. So, so what happened here?
1: Well, I think for a long time, um, General Motors owned Opel. And so Opel was our European brand. And I think, uh, that, You know, because we had that, we didn't introduce a lot of the other brands like Chevrolet. You know, we have some Cadillacs in Europe, but I think uh, that's when I look at it from a GM perspective, I think that's one of the reasons. Because for quite, you know, for decades we had the Opel brand that uh, you know had a lot of similarities with Buick. As we look now, uh, we see a huge opportunity with our electric vehicles and especially our premium vehicles uh, in Cadillac. So we should have the conversation again in five to ten years.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, in the meantime, of course, we see Teslas around every corner here up in Oslo and um, tell us about how you intend to take market share in this, uh, in this market.
1: Oh, it's a great question. And, you know, when you look at today, um, and there are some some countries in Europe that have, you know, much higher EV volume of the total car sold than many other countries. But when we look at it across uh, many, many countries, the US, China, and many places in Europe, there is an opportunity because you need to have EVs across all segments. All of our customer research says that when people want to... Um, Look at an EV. It has to have the right range. It has to be beautifully styled. But importantly, it has to be the the, the type of vehicle they want. If they're looking for a crossover, they're not going to buy a sedan. If they need a truck... They're not going to buy you know, a utility vehicle. And so having a wide portfolio of vehicles so each customer can fit not only their, their lifestyle or their livelihood, but also their price point, I think is very important. And that's what General Motors has done for many, many years. And so we can quickly, with our Ultium platform, roll out a, a, a whole portfolio of vehicles and reach more customers in the segments that, they wanna, they, that they're looking to purchase in.
0: Yeah. Now you are you were actually one of the first companies to produce um, electric vehicles. But do you feel that you're a bit late to the party now, or how do you look at this internally?
1: Well, uh, you know, yes, I'm very proud and we learned a lot because when we did EV1 over 20 years ago, uh, we never really stopped working on electric vehicles. We continued to work on the battery technology. We then had the Volt, which was an extended range electric vehicle that was, you know, very successful, but still not full electric. And as we looked at this transformation, we said, you know, instead of doing hybrids, we've got to move quickly to the end game. And that's why, you know, over three years ago, we started working on a dedicated EV platform that we now call Ultium and so i think that puts us in a position not to have one or two entries but to you know really get the portfolio that we just talked about do i wish we were 2 3 years early absolutely but i also over this period of time especially uh in the us that's where we've start to have started to see a tipping point with electric vehicles we're seeing that in China as well, and that's why, again, in Europe, I think that's an opportunity, because EVs will be most prevalent in the most developed countries or those that are driving it from a regulatory perspective. So right now, I can tell you, is we're moving as fast as we can to get that portfolio launched, uh, because every day we see more and more acceptance and interest in EVs.
0: Now, um, in your recent investor letter, you, you only talk about electric vehicles. So what, what happened to hydrogen and some of these other promising technologies that you were working on?
1: Sure, we're still working on hydrogen, we have a partnership with Honda, and we think hydrogen um, fuel cells are a very much part of the solution over the longer term, especially for larger vehicles, think class 7 and 8 trucks, uh, or those vehicles that have a, a high-duty level required. So we continue to work on fuel cells. They're more expensive than uh, battery electric. And so I think as we, we've we seen costs come down, we need to work to get the technology to have even lower costs. And then I definitely believe hydrogen fuel cells will be part of the solution from a zero-emissions perspective.
0: Yeah. Now, talking of which, um how do you plan to reach carbon neutrality in 2040? And and how certain are you to achieve those goals?
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm very certain uh, because as we look across the business, we understand every area that we need to improve to get to that carbon neutrality. And there's teams working on it today. And so we have a plan uh, that uh, we're executing from a vehicle perspective, from a facilities perspective, from all aspects. So I'm very confident we will be carbon neutral by 2040. And also, we have a plan in place to be selling only electric light-duty vehicles in the U.S. to start by 2035, and that's our full line—not just a, a brand that has one or two models, but all of the all of the vehicles that we sell in the U.S. And I think that also we have a very detailed plan of what vehicles and you know when do we launch and when do their ice uh, counterparts, when do we stop building them. So uh, we have you know detailed plans to back up all of the announcements that we've made.
0: Moving on to ownership. So, as you may know, um, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund is the largest single shareholder in the world. And um, having your insight now into the sector, how should we look uh, at the auto sector as a place to invest money?
1: Well, I think what what is happening is is kind of a once in a generation type of tra- transformation. Uh, when you look at changing over the vehicles, but it, and it's not just the electric propulsion aspects of the vehicles, but it's also that the vehicle is a software platform. And so, when you look at an industry that over the past, from an investor perspective, was a value segment, uh, now we've got the value piece, but we also have this tremendous growth opportunity, not only for General Motors, you know, having additional volume because of being a first mover from an electric vehicle perspective across mainstream platforms, but then also a Autonomous vehicles and our autonomous vehicles through Cruise will also all be electric. Uh, you know how rideshare evolves is going to be a very important and a significant part of our growth. And then finally, all of the experiences and services subscriptions that you can offer the customer to improve their their experience. Uh, is another huge growth opportunity. And when you think about software, it's got a different margin profile as well. So that's why we're so excited. And we believe by 2030, we can almost double our revenue.
0: Now, um, as a large shareholder, one of the things we do is to vote at your AGMs and um we publish our votes 5 days ahead of of the AGM and um now we have expectation documents for uh, for governance issues and so on and um we have actually voted against you as being appointed as the chairperson since you are also the CEO now do you think we are wrong in thinking this way, or what are your views on it?
1: Uh, well, I think when you're in the middle of a transition, our, uh, the General Motors board obviously makes this decision, and they they don't have a hard and fast. There's been times where there's been a separate chair and CEO, uh, and then there's times where the position has been combined. And the feeling of our board right now is because we're in the middle of this of this transformation, the speed that having uh, you know me be both the chair and the CEO. Uh, uh, we feel is best to drive a long-term shareholder value at this moment in you know this point in this transformation so it's something the board regularly reviews we've again we've had both structures so i think um, i think right now especially with the experience that i bring to this role we think it's the right structure so i'd ask you to reconsider
0: <laughs> so it's a temporary thing
1: well it's a uh, like i said it we will probably move through time and there'll be times where it's together times where it's not uh, just based on the situation of the company and the person in role.
0: So, and so, who's the most important person you brainstorm with? I mean, if you got a, an issue or something you're wondering about, who do you who do you uh, consult
1: with? The top fifteen people in the company are is our senior leadership team, and there's some issues where the fifteen of us, you know, representing all the different functions and regions, talk. But then we also, uh, from a management perspective, have a small group of our our president, our general counsel, our CFO, and there are issues that you know we we look at. Uh, and, and you know, talk from a strategy perspective. But I would also say we leverage our board extensively. You know, when we're looking at big strategic issues, not only can I call any member of our board based on, you know, their background and experience and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. Can you give us your thoughts from your background? Uh, but there's also times where we formally take the board through the strategy development. So we don't just bring it in and say, here it is with a bow on it, please approve. We go in and we say, here's the direction we're looking at yeah, again, give us your best thoughts, and then we'll come back. Sometimes between board meetings, depending on this, you know the the, the timing of the change that we're looking at. But I, I can tell you, by engaging our board at the early stages of as we're making strategic shifts, uh, has really enhanced our plans um, because we've leveraged that experience. So we have a a very hardworking board.
0: You um, you are also uh, personally on some other very interesting boards, such as Disney and Stanford and so on. Tell us what's the most interesting board you are at.
1: Well, you know, I find uh, with the, uh, you know, the opportunity to serve on the Disney board, you know, two iconic companies that we don't really compete with each other, but in many cases we have, uh, there's parallels to our business. If you look at how we're making this big transformation to EVs and AVs and connectivity, they're making a, a, you know, a big transition in, in that space to streaming and direct-to-consumer. So there's so many parts of our business that are similar that I feel I can contribute a lot to the Disney board, but also I glean a lot that I can take back uh, to, to make our execution and our strategy stronger. And I did just recently roll off of the Stanford Board of Trustees, and now I'm on um, the Duke uh, Board of Trustees. Education for me is, a very, um, is one of my and my husband's key focus areas because we believe education unlocks... You know the future for everyone and so you know also i would say on both boards hearing the different perspectives and what's happening in higher education and uh you know the advanced research that's going on at these institutions also is very beneficial for for my number one role of being the ceo of general motors
0: absolutely so if you had to take another degree now what would you do
1: Oh, wow. Um, Very interesting. I probably would, um, you know, I'm an electrical engineer, so I have in my life coded, so I understand that. But I probably would um, focus on data analytics because I think, um, you know, when you look at all the information that we now have available, how to leverage that information and turn it into something that you can... uh, Make better decisions, I think, is important. I also would probably want to advance my electrical engineering degree and and software from a artificial intelligence, machine learning. That's actually uh, you know another key area of focus because it really is changing every industry.
0: Yeah, I agree entirely. No, that sounds like a really uh, a really good plan. Um, earlier in the year, you um, visited um, the MBM offices in New York, and uh, I happened to be there and had the great pleasure of uh, meeting you. So thank you so much for coming by now. Why do you prioritize those type of meetings?
1: Well, I think it's very important. I always find meetings with our uh, top investors and investors that are interested in the company, I find them very beneficial because I understand, you know, uh, we serve, we have a fiduciary responsibility to our owners. And so understanding what their perspective is, what's on their mind, making sure they understand the business and understand our strategy, I always come away from those meetings uh, having learned another perspective that helps, helps me as I lead this company. So uh, it's, it's very important.
0: Now, moving on to the, to the GM culture. Um, now, how do you define the GM culture? I, I'm sure you have different type of cultures in different part of the, the organization, but the overarching GM culture, what is it?
1: Well, I think from a culture perspective, we um, we have a set of values and behaviors. And I really believe that how you how you act every day and, and what you know, what you do is so much more important than a slogan on a wall. And so we really try to live it every day. In fact, our compensation system, our recognition system is all tied to our behaviors, because if people are, you know, uh, focused on the customer, and you know, working as a team, and looking over the horizon for opportunities, and being bold, speaking up when you have a different point of view, also, you know, winning with integrity. Those are a couple of our behaviors. That's going to create the culture that we want. I would also say we very much focused on uh, inclusion and equity, and we actually, you know, added a behavior called be inclusive, which is to respect other people's, you know, different points of view, and and be open to listening and learning. And overall, what we want to have at General Motors is a culture where everybody can be themselves and be their best selves at work. And, and, you know, our foundational belief is if you can be yourself and be your best self, you're going to do your best work and that's going to advance the company. So that's what we work on every day. And then our values are focused on the customer, on excellence on relationships, and then on seeking truth to make sure, uh, and we, we live that. And, you know, the senior leadership, we talk about it and we say to, you know, all employees, please hold, our, hold us accountable. And there's times where we get, uh, you know, I'll get an email from, a, from an employee saying, hey, you know, I don't understand how this fits in with, uh, with our values or with our behaviors. And we end up, I end up often having a, you know, just a one-on-one conversation to, to make sure they understand why we did what we did. So that's the culture we're striving for. We're making progress, but we have work to do.
0: I love the um, seeking truth um, element of it. Um, not many companies would have that as a separate value. Now, what do you what do you put in that, and um, how can we how can we see it?
1: Sure. Well, I, I would say first, it's it's a value that we adopted from our startup uh so uh cruise is a, a, a you know where we majority own it but it's an independent company and as we started to work there and really mm-hmm. wanted to uh, infuse that startup entrepreneurial culture into a company the size of General Motors, you know, we, we really had a lot of discussion. And for us, Seek Truth is so often, uh, especially in a large organization, people have different perspectives on an issue based on their responsibility. And Seek Truth was really us asking everybody, don't just look at it from your point of view, look at it holistically from an enterprise perspective and let's get the right information on the table to make the right decision. So that's what we mean when we say seek truth. It's, you know, if, if it maybe is something that doesn't isn't exactly what aligns in your specific area, but it's going to be better for the enterprise. We've got to look that past uh, department goals and regional goals To get to the best, to get to the truth, to make the best decision for uh, for the enterprise overall.
0: Yeah, I love it. I may, um, if you don't mind, I may have to steal that as one of the values. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I fully agree with you on um, on the behavioural being uh, being important, and uh, we are looking at these defining moments in everyday life, which really. Uh, they are so important for leadership, and and it shows when you when you show proper leadership, and so on. Or what are what are your defining moments as a CEO?
1: Well, uh, you know, clearly when the company went through a bankruptcy, and then when the company went through the ignition switch recall, uh, those were defining moments uh, for me personally, but also for mm-hmm. our company. And I'll reflect on the ignition switch recall because it was a tragic situation, you know, over a ten-year period where people. You know, didn't seek truth to find out why there were these, you know, handful, but very serious issues that we then, you know, and one of the things that most people don't recognize is we actually figured it out. Now, it took us too long uh, and we changed a lot. But I think one of the things we learned from that, the defining moment was we're going to do the right thing, even if it's hard. And I think so often people, business leaders, think they have a choice to make when there is only one choice. It's to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, we really leverage that. And I've talked since 2014 to the, you know, the entire uh, company many times about we're going to do the right thing even when it's hard. It's easy to do the right thing and live your values when everything's going well. But the defining moment is when things aren't going so well and what do you choose to do? And that is really, our employees have really embraced this. And I think uh, it makes us stronger as a company as as we execute every part of the business.
0: Mm-hmm. What we often see from uh, large companies such as your own is um, bureaucracy building up. And things are you know, becoming slower over time and, and so on now. What do you do? What do you do to keep the pace up? And what do you do to keep bureaucracy down?
1: Well, I think any large organization, you need process. You know, at their, at General Motors at any point in time, we have a hundred vehicle programs in flight from early concept to almost launching to building them. And so you need strong processes, but you just have to be relentless and making sure that you know there isn't added steps in bureaucracy. And because we're, we're a, you know, pretty much a functional organization, one of the things I've asked everybody to do when I talk about with every employee uh, group that I, I have the opportunity to do Q&As or talk to is find a way to say yes. When someone asks you to do something, even if it's not exactly to process uh, or it's not, you know, your direct responsibility, if we can all find a way to say yes to the person who's asking for our help or asking to help us accelerate something or make something better, that's when we're going to be stronger, and we have to remember that processes are how we keep the business organized, but they we don't serve processes. the processes serve the enterprise in doing what's right for the customer and having you know outstanding products and services for our customers.
0: yeah now um, I've read somewhere that you have a consensus approach to leadership. It's not uh, something we uh, associate with uh, the American style of running companies. More like a Scandinavian uh, style of management. Um, tell us about it, and why is it important for you?
1: Well, if you think uh, at General Motors, uh, we you know we primarily do everything related to how people move, and and then the services around it. And so I always find if we can get, especially the senior team. With all their different experiences, you know, I, I've been in a lot of places of business, but I, I haven't, you know, worked outside of the U.S. I haven't been in the sales and marketing function, so I find that if we can look at a problem with everybody's different perspective, diverse views sitting at the table, we're going to make the best decision. Now, there are times where you know I've got to make the call, and I'm, I'm, you know, happy to do that. But I always think we make better decisions even if we don't come to, you know, complete agreement by hearing everybody's uh, perspective and point of view. And, and the fact that people feel heard, I think then when they understand if we went in a different direction, at least they knew what they were thinking was considered and probably maybe altered the decision 10 or 15 degrees to make it stronger.
0: Now uh, we have um, thousands of students um, listening to this podcast. What um, what kind of advice would you give to the young these days?
1: Well, I think first is you know find what you really are interested about and passionate about uh, from an industry perspective, and, and that's not to say that there is you know every job has parts of it that you love to do and parts that you need to do. So you've got to you know be realistic, but find something you really are interested in, love doing, and then work really hard. Uh, you know, hard work. Uh, will distinguish you from from your peers. And if people know you're owning your job, you know, we, t- we talk about it, especially being in the vehicle interest, you know, who washes a rental car? No one. But if you approach your current assignment like you're going to do it for the rest of your life and you make, you know, you improve the processes, you remove bureaucracy, you build a network, people see how hard you're working to do the work you're responsible for today better. And I think that's what distinguishes you and you'll get more and more opportunities. Uh, and then the last thing I would say, um, and this is primarily directed at women, but it, it's a generalization, but have a point of view, speak up. When you're in forums and people are brainstorming uh, topics, and you have either a different perspective or you have a new idea, have find your voice, have your voice. Even if you know, I think so many times people, um, especially as they enter a new business, are worried. Well, you know, maybe I'm going to sound stupid. Don't worry about it. Have a point of view, and you know, I think often you'll find many people were thinking about the same thing you were.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, Absolutely. So when you sit in a car. What what is it that you look at? What is it that you feel? And what is it that you, what kind of experience is it that you want to have?
1: Well, I think... Uh you know, first I look at, you know, how the interior is designed. Is it beautiful? But then all the controls, because there's so much you can do in a vehicle today. Is it intuitive? I don't want to get out the owner's manual. I, I want to just be able to get into the car, jump in and intuitively know how everything works. Uh, or, or, you know, make it pretty easy to, to connect to, you know, whether it's connecting your phone or, you know, using the different functionality on the vehicle like Super Cruise. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I want it to be of high quality and you know what i've also experienced now with the electric vehicles and off of our ultium platform because the platform makes the structure of the vehicle so solid it is just it's just it's a different driving experience which uh, it's hard to explain but the the vehicle is so sound so um so uh, firm in its ride that uh, uh you know just gives you great confidence in the way the vehicle um Functions, so I, you know it's a it's a whole it's the way the you know not only the way it's styled interior and exterior but it's also uh, how uh, well the controls are integrated but then the the driving experience itself.
0: Right. Now, of course, we have to ask you at the end, here. What kind of car do you drive? Uh-oh.
1: Well, one of the benefits of being at General Motors, <laughs> uh, you know, I would say when I was in uh, product development, I got to drive everything. And so I feel like every vehicle has a special place in the portfolio. But right now I'm driving a Hummer EV, which is a super truck. Uh, it's a big vehicle, but with four, four-wheel four steering, it is just so maneuverable uh, and you know driving an electric vehicle and the benefits of our ultium platform it's quiet it's instant torque it's a lot of fun so uh, that's the vehicle that i'm currently spending the most time in
0: well thank you so much for that it's been fantastic having you on the program good luck with everything and uh, we look forward to staying in touch
1: well thank you very much it's really been an honor to be a part of your program